everybody, this is Maggie. This is Amber. And this is Crime Country. We're taking you on a virtual road trip across the United States. Today we are in Nevada. Woo! the Las Vegas! <laughs> Nevada has a population of 3,080,156 people as of 2019. It's the eighth least densely populated state. While Las Vegas is the biggest city in Nevada, the state capital is actually Carson City. Las Vegas gets more than 42 million visitors a year. Probably excluding 2020 because coronavirus is ruining everything. Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> but 42 million visitors a year until 2020. Sorry, Las Vegas. If you visit Nevada, things you may want to do are visit Lake Tahoe, which is North America's largest alpine lake. I don't know what that means, but... I don't know, but Lake Tahoe is gorgeous. I've never been, but I have a friend who lives there, and the pictures he posts are amazing. I've only seen, like, little bits of it because we, like, drove through there and we stayed there when we were road tripping from, like, California to come back home when we lived in Utah. And so we were like, yeah, we're going to stop in Tahoe because there's, like, the casinos and then California and yeah. whatever. And it's so, gorgeous. Um, we stayed there for the night and it was so much fun. But it was so cool because it was, like, part of it was just this cute little, like, mountain town, basically. And so we had, like, this, uh, we had dinner and drinks at one of the restaurants, like, sort of downtown I guess you could say it was but probably not really downtown yeah there's probably not like a downtown but like the main city center area but it was just so much fun and it was like the vibe in there was so cool and cozy and I was just like this place is the best I want to go this place yeah Lake Tahoe I definitely want to go back and like go camping or do some lake activities but I also want to go snowboarding up there somewhere. Yeah, I only want to go in summertime because uh, <laughs> winter is not my jam. I mean, yeah. they probably have ice fishing. I could get in on some ice fishing. Oh, yeah, they probably did. Um, Lake Tahoe is known for its sandy beaches and ski resorts in winter. What? You could also visit Virginia City, which became a boom town in 1859 for silver miners. It's now a tourist attraction that revels in the history of the town and has regular events people can participate in to relive the days of old. Um, so I was looking at pictures of this online and they have just, it's a tiny, tiny little tourist town, but they have this main street that all the buildings are set up like they were in 1859 when it became a town. And so it's like all these old saloons and they have people dressed in period costumes and you can participate in events like you would have in 1859. So that seems oh, like a fun. cute little tourist town, but probably is packed with tourists all the time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you can also visit a brothel if you're in Nevada. Um, Nevada is the only United States state where prostitution is legal. Uh, it's not legal in the entire state of Nevada, including Las Vegas, it is not legal there. But most counties that do have brothels or uh, legalized prostitution are in very rural areas because most businesses don't want to be around a brothel. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I read that um, most of the prostitution that happens in Nevada is not in a legal area. Oh, yeah, most of it, a lot of it probably happens in Vegas. <laughs> yep, so it's like 70% of the prostitution in Nevada is illegal, but there oh, yeah. are legal ways to get a sex worker in Nevada. You just gotta <laughs> look a little. <laughs> That's your jam. And lastly, on my list of things to do in Nevada is Las Vegas. Uh, me and Amber have been to Las Vegas together three times. Yeah. Three yeah. times, once with our husbands, then boy boyfriends, once for your bachelorette party that was just the two of us, and then for our friend Britney's bachelorette party when we went and saw Britney Spears. Oh my god. So much fun. So much fun. Okay, anyways, when I was looking into Nevada, I found some weird Nevada laws, because I had a lot of fun doing that last week, and I might make it part of the show now. Yeah, because those are so fun. <laughs> some of the stuff that you find is crazy. Yeah, I don't think Nevada ones are, are as weird as Idaho, and I feel yeah. like that's because Nevada allows so much shit. Oh yeah, they allow probably a lot of weirdo stuff. So, in Eureka, Nevada... Men with mustaches cannot kiss women. Like in public or just at all? At all. They can't kiss women. It's uh, Apparently there was a lot of laws against facial hair, but most of them have been wiped off the books. But this one is still an active law. Men with mustaches cannot kiss women in Eureka, Nevada. No one's ever prosecuted for this law, but it's there. <laughs> Uh, it's also illegal to pawn your dentures in Las Vegas. Who the hell would pawn some dentures? Gamblers, alcoholics, people who need more money to go back to the casino. But who would buy used dentures is the real question. I don't know. Maybe a drug addict that wants some teeth that they don't have. <laughs> Like, maybe meth had used all the meth and they lost all their teeth and now they need some dentures. And so they're like, oh, the pawn shop, they might have them for me. And they're probably real cheap. But then again, if they have that issue going in there, they're probably not going to want to spend their money on dentures. They're probably just going to try and on their habit. Well, they're going to try and steal the pawn shop dentures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's illegal. This one really surprised me. There is no hula hooping allowed on Fremont Street. What? I have no idea why, but you know, I've never been to Fremont Street, but I know it's more of like a um, street performers and stuff kind of going on, and it's the more risque part of Las Vegas besides the strip, um, but hula hooping is not legal there. You can't have like hula hooping street performers. That's interesting. Yeah, that's weird, huh? Uh, and lastly, hip-hop concerts are prohibited in Las Vegas. Wait, what? So after the death of Tupac, the city blamed the music genre, and they oh, passed okay. a law banning hip-hop concerts, and that's actually still in place. Wow. Las Vegas does not host any quote-unquote hip-hop concerts, which I think like means rap. I don't call that music hip-hop music. Oh, yeah. those kids and their hip-hop music. So I think rap, um, apparently, like, I've never huh. noticed, but apparently there's no big rap concerts in Vegas. 
I never noticed that either, but fun fact, I almost did the death of Tupac for my Nevada case, yeah, but I didn't. It influenced that law in Nevada. Hmm. So this Interesting. Is, yeah, so that's weird laws in Nevada. To go off on a true crime tangent that has nothing to do with Nevada, I was recently digging into the Britney Spears conspiracy, Free Britney. Have you read about that? So I just saw a little article about it and I started reading it, but then I didn't finish it because I got like interrupted or distracted. But now I'm like really curious as to what the heck. I'm concerned for poor Britney. I think. Yeah. Hashtag free Britney needs to happen. So she has a conservatorship. How would you say that word? Have you ever said it out loud? No, conservatish, conservative ship, conservative. I don't know. <laughs> I read it in my head. Conservatorship could be converse, conservatorship. Anyways, her dad has a legal control of her life, basically. He has control of all of her assets, any decision she makes, when she can leave her house, where she can go, what she can do with her money, um, when she can see her kids, which is bullshit because her dad has, like, a restraining order against one of her kids for hitting him. So even though she has, like, whatever amount of custody of her children... They can't be around her dad, and her dad controls every aspect of her life, so she doesn't barely ever see her poor kids. She's just trapped inside her mansion, which sounds sad, but, like, or, like, doesn't sound sad because she's in a mansion, but she, one time she left to just go get, like, Starbucks, and her dad threw a fucking fit, took it to court, and had his stuff even more restricted because he, he had her medicated stronger because she took a trip to Starbucks alone without his permission. So he took that to court and used it as a reason to get higher medicated doses for her. And then he had her go somewhere publicly on all these drugs looking all whacked out. And he what? used that to be like, see, she has a problem. She needs me. But it's because she's on all these drugs that he's making her take that she's being all whacked out so like she shouldn't be under the conservatorship conservatorship um because that's meant for people with like dementia like it literally is meant for people with reduced mental faculties and she doesn't have that she might have like a little bit of bipolar or depression or something like that that's way different yeah exactly she different spectrum has zero freedom and her dad's abusing it and it's fucking bullshit and i dove into that rabbit hole and i'm not somebody who likes conspiracy theories but this one seems very very fucking real like why how long has it been happening well 2008 was when she had her breakdown and shaved her head And that's when it all started. That was oh 12 God. years ago. 12 years. She's got her shit together. She did like fucking five years of a residency in Vegas. She's pulling in all the money and she gets like a $1,500 a month allowance from her dad. What the crap? Yeah. So free Britney. Hashtag free Britney. Um, that shit needs to be looked into and has nothing to do with Nevada. <laughs> but 
we saw her when we were in Nevada, and it was fucking awesome, even though she was very obviously limp-seeking the entire concert. Yes, but it was still so much fun. We and danced I our asses off with all of the gay guys in Vegas at that concert. Yeah. They were running rampant at that concert, but it was amazing. <laughs> it was so amazing. Huh. And then half of them were just, like, better dressed than me and looked better than me. And I was like, all right, here we go. This is fun. Yeah. So, and it was so much fun. That was great. Yeah. I want to see Brittany again. And I hope she gets her freedom. <laughs> yeah, she was a lot of fun. Even though, like you said, she definitely lip syncs. But she she's doing still... so much dancing and there was so oh, much yeah. choreography. Like I she... can't breathe. Yeah, she was keeping that shit tight. <laughs> Okay, anyways, now into my story. So in 1905, the San Pedro, Los Angeles, and Salt Lake Railroad arrived in Las Vegas, connecting this new city with the Pacific and with the country's main rail network. With a boom in silver mining in Nevada, this area was a more was now a more easily accessible area for men to work. And with that work came a lot of illegal activities. Nevada had outlawed gambling in 1910, but it was still a hotspot for illegal gambling in speakeasies and illicit casinos all over the area where men were working. Most of the population in and around Las Vegas were miners or workers that were there to build the Hoover Dam. Um... These workers helped the speakeasies and the casinos flourish. And where illegal activity flourishes, so does organized crime. Gambling was legalized in 1931, but organized crime already had a good foothold in the area, and this would lead to the eventual mob ties that established the Las Vegas Strip. So that's just a little bit of background on how Las Vegas got started. We'll get back to Vegas in a minute, but now we're going to hear about Virginia Hill. On August 26 of 1916, Virginia Hill was born. She was one of ten kids born to an abusive father. He abused her all the time until one day, as a child, she threw a hot skillet at him, and that curbed his abusiveness towards her and she wasn't subjected to it anymore. Yikes. A hot skillet? That's what it took? Ooh. Good for her. Fuck that. Yeah. Don't be your kids. But uh, she was a rascal, this girl. <laughs> so she became sexually active with boys when she was 12 years old. And she I... married a man named George when she was 14. That's young. That's so young. In the 1900s, I guess, so. It's still young. 14. He's a mysterious man. Nobody really knows who this guy was. So she married George when she was 14, and at 17, her and George moved to the city of Chicago, where she quickly dumped him to build her own life. <laughs> so in Chicago, she became a shimmy dancer and probably, possibly, a prostitute. 
Possibly. <laughs> Me and Spencer say possibly all the time when it's like a possibly and probably combined. Oh, okay. Like it's like a, we're not sure oh, if it's probably. I thought you said possibly because it was prostituting. Probably. <laughs> no, I actually meant to. Me and Spencer use that word regularly. Possibly, like probably, possibly. I don't know which one. So she was possibly a prostitute. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, about, about a year after she became a shimmy dancer, she worked her way up to being a waitress in a short skirt in one of Al Capone's gang's favorite hangouts. So she was this waitress at this restaurant where Al Capone's gang hung out all the time. But Al Capone was actually in jail at the time. But it was when his gang was still thriving without him. Um, maybe one of his earlier jail stints. I'm not sure on the timeline there. So through her waitressing job, she met Joe Epstein. Joe Epstein was a bookmaker and accountant for Capone's group and for other mob bosses. He um, worked the books and did accounting manipulation for other mob bosses to try and make their stuff look legitimate, but he was shady as fuck. <laughs> so the meeting of Joe Epstein changed Virginia's future completely her life hit a pivot at that point and was launched into the stratosphere so virginia knew she was an attractive woman and she had no problem with using her looks and her sexuality to get what she wanted she was a very no-nonsense woman with a really good brain and that's what drew joe epstein to her um, because he was like, I like the way she's no nonsense. She tells it as she sees it and she's fucking smart and gorgeous. So she was shorter. Um, I'm sure I'll share a picture as our like Facebook picture we share with this episode, but she was really pretty. She was shorter. She had bright red hair. Apparently all the pictures are in black and white, obviously, but yeah. she had porcelain skin and just was really pretty and she knew it. So she met Joe Epstein, made an impression and then kept on with their business in the late 19, like 1929. And then she ran into Epstein again at a party in 1934. And that's when he recruited her to start laundering money for the mob through, um, the Chicago horse track, horse racing tracks. So he had devised these schemes where he would increase his odds of winning. Um, and then once the money was won, it could be reported to the IRS as legal income. So he would take all this illegal mob money um, from the outfit, which I'm going to talk about a lot through the story, is what they mm -hmm. called like Al Capone's game is the outfit. So the outfit would get all this money through drugs and fucking intimidating people for protection money and shit like that. And then they would launder it in different ways. But one of the ways was through the racetrack and they got Virginia Hill to launder it for them. So she would go to the racetrack and she would make these fixed bets on horses they knew were going to win. And then she would go collect the money. And she also, um, they, they, Epstein taught her how she could, lure men into sucker bets where they were very obviously going to lose and she would win at like a super high rate with her looks 
and her sexuality and possibly sexual favors. She would convict, convince these men to do what she wanted. She was not against having sex to get what she wanted. At all. <laughs> um, so she thrived in this role and quickly moved up the ranks in the outfit. In 1935, before she was even 20 years old, she was meeting with the mob outfit's top members about all their business dealings. She worked her way up, and she was up there with the top of the men. Uh, they would dress her in furs and stolen jewels, and they taught her how she could smuggle goods and money out of the state, and how to be a less obvious target for suspicion. Just being a gorgeous woman dressed in... Uh, Fancy, rich clothing was a good start of not causing any suspicion, but... Yeah, they're she, like, oh, someone gets all her money, but not her. Yeah, this rich lady's fine. Don't pat her down. She's good. Yeah. So she became the top mole for the underworld. And something I learned in researching this case, when you're a mole for the underworld, it's spelled M-O-L-L, not M-O-L-E. But it's still like a mole, not mall. I think so. Huh. Mole. <laughs> mole. Anyways. Uh, so she would start dating rich and powerful men for extended periods of time to either get information out of them or trick them into giving her money and for investments. And she really would just give the money to the mob. It would go straight to Joe Epstein. Epstein? I don't know. Anyways. Okay. All, whenever you keep saying that guy's name, I just want to think that he's related to Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, which... And I'm just like... He probably won't. Ugh. I mean, they ran in the same circles many years apart, but... <laughs> uh, criminals, <laughs> through and all, through. That's all I can think about. Whenever you keep saying his name, I'm just like, ugh. Every time I read it, I thought the same thing, and I didn't look into it at all because I don't care. They're both shitty people, I guess. Yeah. Um... Too bad he committed suicide. Yeah, I'm waiting for the day that Ghislaine or whatever her, what's her bucket? Jillian uh, with a G? Commits suicide too. Yeah, or dies of COVID. Yeah, probably in the prison system. She got COVID. Yeah. Uh, I'm being real conspiracy theory this time. Maybe we should explain that one to listeners who don't. Follow bullshit. So Jeffrey Epstein was a very well-connected man in the United States politics, and he is rumored to have been involved in, like, a child sex ring and prostitution between all of Washington, D.C.'s elite. Um, he was good friends with Clinton. He had ties to Trump, like, all the high, high, high people in D.C., and he was finally arrested on charges for being corrupt and was coming clean and then he surprisingly committed suicide in jail um, before he was able to release any more information. And I say committed suicide very, very lightly because he probably didn't. Uh, and recently, <laughs> this new lady Gillian, Jillian, I don't know her last name even, is uh, w was a co-worker of him and um, is currently in jail while waiting her death. <laughs> yeah. huh, but anyways, uh, Joe Epstein worked with Virginia Hill for Al Capone's gang and a bunch of other mom bosses back in the 1930s. 
She started dating rich and powerful men for extended periods of time. She tricked them into giving her money for investments. She would get information from them and she would give it all to Joe Epstein to give to the mob. And um, she slept with a lot of men to learn secrets or gain trust or even sometimes just on a dare. Like somebody dared her like at Christmas parties to give a bunch of guys blowjobs because they thought it was funny and she did. Uh, she 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 hoed it up a bit. Sounds like it. <laughs> Eventually Epstein sent her to New York um, to help keep tabs on another gang that was there that the outfit had a mutual agreement with uh, in this like criminal enterprise where they were working together to make money. Um, and once she was in New York, she started a physical relationship with Adonis, who was one of the leaders of this other group. And together they started laundering money and pulling scams and collected, collecting racket-earned cash and just really pulling in the dough. They both were sleeping with other people, but like were also hooking up together and making a name for themselves as a couple. It didn't last long, and Virginia met Bugsy Siegel, who was one of the underlings of Adonis, and she fell for him instantly. She was all sorts of into Bugsy Siegel. And she pretty much immediately started a physical relationship with Bugsy, and it pissed Adonis off. Adonis was nicknamed that because he was fucking gorgeous, and everybody was like, he's an Adonis, and... So he, when she, like, picked someone else, one of his underlings over him, he lost his shit. And so he got mad, and he called the outfit and told them what was going on, and he wasn't okay with it. And so they cut her allowance and cut her out of the gig, and they basically fired her for a little while, so she wasn't allowed to work for the outfit. So she had to move home to Georgia to live with her mom. But she got real bored of that shit real quick. So she <laughs> left Georgia and she moved to Hollywood. In Hollywood, she was making a name for herself. She was dating like famous actors. She was getting back in with the outfit in Chicago and doing some business for them. She started dating a Mexican nightclub dancer named Miguelito Valdez. And... She dated him briefly, and then she moved on. She met a 19-year-old college football player at a bar, and they just eloped. Like, they met, they hit it off, they got drunk, they went and got married. And then she had that annulled six months later. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, because they met and got married in, like, the same night. <laughs> um, well, there you go. And eventually she ended up marrying Miguelito Valdez, um, who she had dated previously, because he'd been deported to Mexico and she wanted to help him get back into the country. So she married him and later tricked him into signing divorce documents because she didn't want to be married to him anymore. So she was like, oh, these papers are for something else. Just sign here. And it was no contest divorce papers. And she was just like, bye. <laughs> Man, that's pretty shysty. Yeah, and he really just, like, wanted to be with her. Like, he seemed, he was just, like, a dancer. <laughs> but, uh, so she was still working for the outfit this time and working her way back into their good graces after her problems with Adonis. 
Um, she was investing money for them into nightclubs. She was doing drug trafficking. After dating Miguelito, she was now fluent in Spanish, and so she was doing a lot of trafficking to Mexico and from Mexico of heroin. Other drugs, oh. too, but mostly heroin. So she was in L.A. most of the time, but she was helping drug traffic heroin from Mexico to Chicago. So she was kind of all over the place and getting away with it because she was just this really beautiful, posh woman. Um, and in the meantime, she was also just having affairs with anyone in any sort of powerful position that could help her out. So she was having affairs with men in Mexico, um, the nephew of a politician in Mexico, like anyone that could give her information or help her get away with shit. She was basically just fucking her way across the world. Jeez. <laughs> I was going to say the country, but it was the world. Um... And she, like, it was just part of the job to her. She was like, yep, that's what I do. It's why I'm good at what I do. Like, yep, I'm going to curry these stolen monies from one gang to another to help launder them. And I'm going to fuck with, fuck the guy that I'm delivering them to. So he trusts us. And so we get a better deal and I'm okay with it. So I guess whatever. Cool. Well, alrighty then. Use what you got. Um, and in the 19... 30s for a woman to have such a powerful position like I guess that's what you had to do it's fucked up but she owned her shit she was a boss bitch yeah so throughout all this time Epstein would send her money anytime she asked for it he he met her when she was a teenager like she was like 19 years old when they met and he just formed a bond with her it was probably a somewhat sexual relationship, but either way, he just felt like a weird connection to her. And so anytime she asked him for money, he would just send her thousands of dollars and he helped her live this extravagant lifestyle. She always had the best clothes and jewelry and furs. And she started throwing lavish parties in Beverly Hills with Hollywood's top names and celebrities and... Um, for a while, she even tried to be an actress. She tried to land roles in movies. She ended up having, like, a background role in one major film, but nothing big. But all the while, she was traveling between Chicago, New York, Hollywood, and Mexico, doing all the outfits business. Um, so... During all of this time of traveling and back and forth, she hooked up again with Bugsy Siegel. And now we're going to get more into him. So Bugsy Siegel, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, was nicknamed Bugsy because of his quick and violent temper. He was said to be as crazy as a bed bug. And that's why they called him Bugsy, because he was a lunatic. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not someone I ever want to be friends with. No, thanks. No. As crazy as a bed bug. That's, like, quite the way to describe someone. Yeah, because he had a quick temper and got violent. So, Bugsy grew up in a crime-ridden section of Brooklyn, where gangs and racketeering were commonplace. At a young age, he is reported to have started extorting protection money from pushcart peddlers in the Lower East Side. 
So even before he was involved in any sort of gang, he was offering protection to these pushcart gangs. And the protection was basically from himself. Like, if you don't give me money, then I'm going to kick your ass. Um, so yeah, that started when he was really, really young. And then in 1918, he befriended Meyer Lansky, and they made the Bugs and Meyer gang. Um, they continued doing illegal activities and doing the same sort of deal where they were giving people protection for money. But soon, Bugsy moved on to work for the mafia kingpin Lucky Luciano. And graduated out of the Bugs and uh, <laughs> Meyer gang. Um, so he had a really, really violent reputation. He was like an enforcer for Lucky, Lucky Luciano. And he's rumored to have killed several rival mob bosses for Lucky, but some of that's disputed. Like, it wasn't reported until a couple years after the facts, and they were like, yeah, that was Bugsy. And so it's like, mm, oh, yeah. it doesn't really add up. Yeah. But he had a really violent reputation and history, so it's it's unknown who he actually killed, but he was not a nice man. Probably killed some, a handful of people, obviously. Yeah, I think he killed a lot of people, but I don't know how many higher-up people he killed. But yeah. he was very, very committed to uh, Lucky. And so through that, he worked his way up in the mob and caught the eye of the FBI. So they started watching him really closely because they knew he was in all this illegal activity. And Lucky was like, hey... We have some businesses going on in the West Coast. You should relocate out there and just kind of lose focus of the FBI out here by getting yeah. out of here. So this is all happening in New York and not Las Vegas <laughs> or Nevada. But we're getting there. So Bugsy moves to California to help build the rackets there for the Gang of Lucky. And he set up all these gambling dens and offshore gambling ships and uh, while he was consolidating the already existing prostit prostitution, narcotics, bookmaking operations, he thrived in California. Instead of being known for his violence in California like he was in New York, now he was known for his money because he was just fucking killing it. He was <laughs> rolling in cash and he became really, really involved in the in crowds in Hollywood. So he was hanging out with all of these actors and rich people in Hollywood, and that's probably where him and Virginia met up again. So Bugsy and Virginia start hooking up again. They had met, like, five or six years before this and hooked up, but then they both had moved on because she got fired from the outfit and had to go to Georgia and then Hollywood, and he was still in New York, and then he came to California, and they started running in the same crowds. So, they start hooking up. I believe he was married to someone else, actually. Um, oh. I don't... I didn't look into this at all. I probably should have, but... He had been married at some point in time. I have no idea if he got divorced or if he just was like, this is my girlfriend and that's my wife and that's the way it is. But Virginia was his girlfriend. Knowing Virginia, I bet she still was fooling around a bit to get what she wanted if she needed to. But Oh, yeah. She, I don't doubt that. Yeah. But she was... <laughs> very much so Bugsy's girlfriend as well. So take that for what it is, I guess. 
1945, Bugsy, with Virginia by his side, took over the construction of a new hotel and casino on the edge of Las Vegas. We're finally in Nevada! Woo! You got all excited, and I was like, what's she going to say? And then you didn't say anything. Well, because I was like going to say the stratosphere. That's on the edge. <laughs> ah, it's not the stratosphere. <laughs> um, so it was just this large lot down a dirt road. It was not the first casino on. It was like Highway 91 at the time. Um, it wasn't the first casino there, but all of the other ones were modeled after the Old West style. And so they were all like Old Western bar type of casinos with swinging doors and dirt floors and just kind of embracing the Old West theme of Nevada. But Bugsy... It would be really cool if there was some of those still there. Yeah, it would. I agree, because I feel like that'd be way more our style than, like, the huge hotel and casinos that are That would be badass. Like, I would definitely go there and just go to experience that. Well, Virginia City might have ones kind of like that, but it's super touristy. Maybe we should just go there just for fun. I think it'd be fun. I think Spencer would probably hate it because it's, like, a total tourist town and he hates people. So maybe, like, that's a girl trip. Same with Aaron. He'd be like, there's too many people here. This is dumb. And I'd be like, but they're all dressed in old-timey clothes. It's cool. (laughs) Girls trip to Virginia City, for sure. All right. Yeah. As long as there's no murderers there. (laughs) But, I mean, there probably could be. I I mean, there could be anywhere, but I don't think it's known for. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's literally just a little tourist town. It'd be fun. Okay. Anyways. (laughs) So at the time, that's what all the casinos were. These old-timey, old-west, saloon-type casinos. But Bugsy came in, and he was like, nah, we're going to have a Hollywood-style casino happening in the lawless town of Las Vegas. It's going to be luxurious. People are going to dress up to come here. It's going to hold the elite, not this old-west-style bullshit. It was already kind of underway before he came in, so this guy, it was like his vision, he kind of got started, but he needed financial backing, so the outfit was like, we got you, because the mob was like, fuck yeah, we'll own a fucking casino in the lawless state in the United States. Yeah. So the mob was like, yeah, we're going to invest in this shit, Bugsy, get down there run this town and so Bugsy was like yes I'm seeing luxury I'm seeing high dollar class we're gonna make this the best casino anyone's ever seen so the building of the casino was financially backed by the east coast crime syndicate and it was projected to cost 1.5 million dollars Man, and back then, that's, like, way more than 1.5 million, like, today, right? Yeah. What would you guess it would be today? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so, I'm so bad at that. Yeah, it's hard. I adjusted it for inflation. Um, it would be over $21 million today. Holy sh... Yeah. Yeah, so it was... projected to cost $1.5 million then, $21 million today, which you think about building a new huge casino in Las Vegas, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. That's 
crazy. They have like four thousand rooms and those giant casinos with different yeah, like. Yeah, those casinos are freaking amazing, and they have like all different things, and they're all crazy all the structural decorations and different casino areas and theaters yeah. and stuff. So it's like okay, twenty one million dollars for a huge casino in Las Vegas. That makes sense. Yeah. But under Bugsy's management, the cost soared to over $6 million. Oh, my God. Adjusted for inflation, that would be over $85 million. That's insane. What the hell did he do to that thing? So he was flying in workers and he was paying them too much money per day. So he was paying like each worker $50 a day. I didn't adjust that, so don't ask. Um, (laughs) He was also ordering in expensive changes to the original plan. He completely rebuilt the boiler room and the kitchen after they'd already been done. Um, I heard he even had his own suite built that had, like, bulletproof glass and a secret tunnel exit out of the building. Um, So he added all those things in. And it's also believed that he was using Virginia and her skills at funneling money out um, to funnel money into secret accounts and stealing them and putting them into Swiss bank accounts. So it's said, but never confirmed, that he had skimmed $2 million from the building costs and hid it in Swiss bank accounts through Virginia. How? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put it past either of them, obviously. I mean, that's like 20-something million dollars skimming off the top, which is insane. Like, don't skim from the fucking mob. Yeah, no. Do you want to (laughs) die? Because I'm pretty sure they'll put a bullet in your head. Yeah. So drop you over a bridge and call it a day. (laughs) Yeah, he was he was being super luxurious in his planning and people were getting fucking pissed. The financial backers were like, where's our money? Why isn't this completed? And why is it costing so much fucking money? And he did put his own money into it too. Like he had invested in a small casino, not in the same area before. And he sold that and put all that money into it. So he was putting some of his own money in there too, but then he started. Yeah. And then he started getting these other, other investors and spending way more money. I also read, like, he tried to have each individual room, which, like, at the time there was, like, 300 individual rooms. He wanted each of them to have their own sewer system. And so that's where a lot of the money went, too. Instead of connecting them all together, he had... Why is that even necessary? It's not. And that's why hotels don't do it. (laughs) Like, I don't understand the necessity of that. (laughs) I have no idea. But it cost a shit ton of money. It delayed the building of everything a lot, too. So that was completely unnecessary. And with all these delays, the guest rooms weren't even all completely finished, but everybody was hounding him at this point. And so finally, his new casino hotel was opening on December 26th. The Flamingo opened on what would become Las Vegas Strip. The Flamingo was the first hotel and casino on the Strip that's still around today. Wow. It was luxurious. It was insane. 
and it started the trend of luxurious hotels. You look on the strip now and the flamingos a staple, but it's not the one I think about. But it yeah. was the first one. It was what started what is now Las Vegas, basically. So on December 26th, like I said, is that a special day or anything? Oh, December 26th? What? Oh. My birthday? <laughs> yeah. So on December 26th, Amber's birthday in 1946, many years before Amber was born because she's very young and beautiful. Um, <laughs> the opening happened. It was huge. It was slated to have famous singers, comedians, actors, the elite of the elite in the known world come to the opening. And a lot of them did, but there was this insane rainstorm that happened and it canceled two big flights from Hollywood to Las Vegas. So a bunch of people didn't show up and basically none of the guest rooms were ready yet. And oh a bunch gosh. of people didn't show up and it was like a failure of an opening for the Flamingo. Yikes. So he'd spent $6 million of mob money for a fucking flop. And then it was open for two weeks. And during that first two weeks of being open, open um, people there was a few rooms available, but they weren't being booked. A bunch of the rooms were still being worked on. And locals were just going to the other known, like, bar casinos that they knew because they were more comfortable, less formal, and cheaper. And so yeah. the people that were coming to the Flamingo were winning. And the Flamingo lost about $300,000 in the first two weeks of being open at the gambling tables. Holy shit. Yeah, that adjusts to $4.2 million today. So, in the first That's two weeks... crazy. Yeah, so you put $6 million into this new, fangled, ridiculous uh, hotel casino, and then in the first two weeks, he lost 300000 which is $4 million today. And, obviously, everyone's fucking pissed, and he just has to close it all down, because the cost of keeping it running and paying people to be, work the tables, bartenders, all that shit... Um, isn't making anything. Yeah, and apparently they also had, like, a golf course and the tennis courts and, like, all this other shit people could do. And they just had to shut it all down because it was too much. So, after two weeks, lost a bunch of money, shut it all down. Mob people are even more pissed at this point. So, fast forward to March 1st of 1947, and they finally reopened the Flamingo. All of the rooms are done. The people are more comfortable with it. It's springtime. I feel like December's a horrible time to open something like that anyways. Yeah. I mean, Vegas in December isn't bad, though. Like, the weather's actually pretty decent. That's true. It's kind of cold, like, it, when it gets later, but it's, like bearable yeah but that's true but at the time it wasn't like people knew that and were flying to yeah. vegas regularly so you had to get the traveling crowd to come find out how cool it was and people aren't traveling to vegas in 1947 when there's still like dirt roads yeah that's very true so, so. they reopened in march of 1947 and it was a 
hit. People fucking loved it. Uh, they instantly started making money. People were staying there. The rooms were filling up. People were using the gambling tables. They weren't going to the old saloons and stuff around. And the casino quickly started making money. But the mob investors were growing really, really impatient. <laughs> they were like, we've given you so much fucking money. You've only lost money. Start paying us back right now. So Bugsy goes to one of the mob bosses and he's like, hey, give me a little more time before I start paying you guys back. I just want to make sure stuff keeps coming in and then I'll start a payment plan. And they were like, no, start paying us now. And he, having the short temper he was known for, he was like, no, fuck you. I'm not going to do it yet. I'm not ready. And so even though the Flamingo was now making money, it was too late for Bugsy. Uh he had burned too many bridges. So in early June of 1947, Virginia was told by her bosses at the outfit in Chicago that um, they needed her to come to Chicago. And then once she got to Chicago, they sent her to Paris. In the meantime, Bugsy was staying at her house in Beverly Hills and on June 20th, 1947, he was sitting on the couch in her living room, and there were nine rifle shots fired through the window that killed him instantly. Oh, man. And it's rumored that within, tw within minutes of his death in California, three different mob associates entered the Flamingo and were like, hey, we're going to be heading this operation now. What? I don't know how true that is. Uh, it's probably pretty true. He burned a lot of fucking bridges. Do you think Virginia knew about it since she was in Paris? I don't know. And that's really... It just leaves me questioning because uh, most of the articles I read really came off as like they believed she knew. Yeah. But while she was in Europe, she attempted suicide three separate times. Yikes. Yeah. And she, he, Bugsy was the one man she actually, like, loved. She was sleeping with all these dudes, but Bugsy's the one she chose and she stuck to. And she loved, I think. And so then... maybe she did know, and then they sent her to Paris, and she was just so miserable with herself and was like, oh my god, they're killing the love of my life. Yeah. Like, I can't go on. Yeah. So, <sighs> it's really... Hard to say whether she knew or not. I a lot of people think she did, but I don't know. I think she really loved him, but I also think she knew if she found out they were gonna kill him and she didn't leave, they would just kill her too. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. So maybe she knew. I don't know. But um. There's another story that's rumored that's not very well believed that Virginia Hill's brother, who had been in the army as a sniper, um, sniped Bugsy because he was sick of hearing about how Bugsy beat up his sister. Because, like I said, like Bugsy was a super violent person and Virginia yeah. was like a... Uh, ho um, in not like not politically correct terms I'm sorry she was sleeping all about Bugsy had a temper 
and they got in physical altercations many, many times. And her brother was sick of hearing about it, and so it's rumored that he may have assassinated Bugsy for that reason. And I, I read an article that was, like, this guy who was, like, a low man on the totem pole for the mob at that time, and he was like, it just doesn't make sense to me that that would be a mob hit because it was assassination style from far away with a yeah. rifle instead of, like, a bullet in the back of the head in the back of the car and dumping the yeah. body. So, I don't know. That's a theory, but I think the mob probably did it. And I don't know if Virginia knew or not, but either way, it really played on her mental health. Yeah. I, I'm sure that the mob had something to do with it, especially if there was that other rumor of those guys going into the casino, like, hey, um, we're running the show, so... He uh, died in California, and minutes later, he there was people entering the casino like, hey, we're heading this now. And then they pretty very promptly bought out the shares that weren't owned by the mob. And yeah, did that. So who knows? No one, no one knows. But he died, and while she was in Europe, she attempted to commit suicide three times. I think usually by overdose. And then once she got back to the United States, she tried again. And shortly after this, the FBI made it very clear to her that they were investigating her for tax evasion. So she had all sorts of money coming in and out and never had a job. So oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's getting a little fishy looking to the government. So this gets a little clouded on timeline, but Bugsy was killed in 1947. And I don't, she was kind of just trying to figure shit out for the next couple years. And then 1950, she met Hans Hauser. He was a former champion downhill skier. They met in a mountain town in Idaho, and they eloped in November of 1950. Um, they eloped early 1950, and they had a son in November of 1950. So around 1954, the IRS is really cracking down, and some political stations have changed, and so a new guy in politics is like, we're cracking down on organized crime. So he's getting everyone and anyone he can to testify publicly about organized crime. And so they get her to testify live on TV about all of her associates in organized crime. So it's 1954. She has to testify for the IRS or something. And there's live TV crews, all sorts of news reporters, and she shows up in her fucking best dress. She's got... Oh, of course. <laughs> and she's she she's a little bit older at this point and has lived a really hard life. So there's a lot of pictures of her available, and she was fucking gorgeous when she was really young. As she got yeah. a little older... <laughs> She wasn't even that old. I feel bad saying that because, like, she wasn't that old, but she lived a hard life. And if she was smug smuggling heroin, she was doing a lot of things and a lot of men. And uh, not to, like, be a nasty woman, but she wasn't looking as good at this point in time. But she was still a very pretty woman. So anyways, she had, like, her furs, she had her hats, she was fucking looking great. 
and she put on a show on live TV. Housewives were strapped to their TV. Men were going to the pub on their lunch breaks to watch. Um, it was it was insane. So she is being interrogated, and she's like, oh, I was given all these gifts from male suitors. They just really like me. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That, yeah, some men give me houses. Yeah, they're so sweet. And they're like, but like, well, how did they get the money to buy you that house? And she's like, I don't know. And they're like, you're uh, obviously a smart woman. You have to know how they were coming across their money. And she was like, I really don't. I just know he really liked me and he just was giving me so many gifts. Oh, yeah, me and Bugsy, we would get in some fights, but... I didn't know anything was going on at the Flamingo. I just stayed up in our suite with my friends. I never, I don't know who he was working for or working with. I don't, I don't know. Oh, sure, lady. I'm just really well liked. Men give me gifts. And <laughs> so she testified. People were like, loved her and hated her at the same time. She was just this extravagant woman. And... After she testified, the IRS very quickly determined they were going to press charges against her for tax income evasion. Yeah. They determined she had withheld taxes from at least $500,000 of, in, of income, and that's about $5.3 million today. Ooh. Um, Man, what I wouldn't give to make that kind of money. And it had to be more than that. $500,000 with all these numbers we've been throwing around. Oh, yeah. yeah. Way more than that. Yeah. So she fled the country to Europe. Her husband, Hans, that I told you about that she eloped with, was from Austria. And they fled to Europe. And while they were in Europe, the IRS seized all of her homes here, her property here. They auctioned everything off. And it was like... Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, worth of things, and they auctioned off for like forty one thousand dollars. Holy cow! I didn't ad adjust that for inflation, but it was not nearly as much as she owed to them. But right, she remained in Europe to avoid being arrested because she still had a warrant out out for her arrest for tax evasion. They said she owed like two hundred fifty thousand dollars in taxes back to them, and that she would probably spend at least a year in jail if she came back. So. She didn't come back to the United States after this point. Um, it's believed she still had millions of dollars in Swiss bank, bank accounts. Oh, from before. Yeah, because she probably smuggled $2 million from the Flamingo oh, yeah. for she Bugsy. Was still probably just rolling and just living the life. Who knows? Who knows? Because she traveled from Austria to Switzerland 65 times between... Six 1952 and 1956. So in a f I think that's a lot. Four years, she crossed the border 65 times. That is a lot. But if you're going to access your Swiss bank accounts, it's worth the travel. Um, and yeah. Epstein continued to send her money regularly during this time. Like, she would call him and he would just send her money. So apparently he didn't get caught with his mob ties. Huh. Eventually, uh, her family moved full-time to Austria. They'd been living other places throughout Europe. And they moved to Austria, and she ran out of money. Her and her husband split, and she ended up living with her son Peter in Austria until March 22nd, 1966. She left the house early in the morning and never came back. 
She was found two days later in the snow next to her neatly folded coat and a suicide note. Oh. She was only like 56 years old. So she did commit suicide? It wasn't like a murder? I think probably. Um, She'd had her stomach pumped for overdoses like seven times before this. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she struggled with her mental health and depression for sure, and she died of an overdose. There are firm believers that she was killed by Joe Epstein, or Adonis, that other guy, because she started asking him for money, and so people think he sent mom members to force drugs down her throat and make it look like a suicide. So some people believe that. I think she committed suicide. Um, her husband Hans committed suicide like 15 years later and her son died in a car accident in like 1996. Um, so a really sad ending for everyone in the story. Yeah. But that's how the Las Vegas Strip came to be as it is today with the lavish, insane casinos that are what we enjoy when we go visit. That's crazy. Yeah, many, many mob ties, uh, illegal activities that were hidden really well in that environment. Continuing after it, all the other casinos started popping up. There was all these... I mean, who knows? I don't know what's happening there today. I feel like there's probably a lot of shit that most people will never know about in Vegas. Oh, yeah, I'm sure still. Who knows? Yeah. So that's how Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Strip came to be um, what we know it today. And the story of Virginia Hill. It's a really interesting story to me, I think. Yeah, I thought it was super interesting. I mean, it was nice to have, like, a story and not just, like, gruesome things. <laughs> yeah, like all of our other episodes have been so far. <laughs> I'm about to ruin that. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm about to ruin everybody's mood. So we had this fun history lesson and learned about how Vegas came to be, and that was all fine and dandy. And now we're going to go to just a little teeny town on the border of Utah and Nevada, and we're going to Windover. What? Yeah, out of all the places I pick in Nevada. I figured, um, well, not figured, but I came to the decision that I was going to do this case from Wendover. For any non, uh, what part of the country do we even live in? West? Midwest? I feel like people call, like, Kansas the Midwest. Are we the West? I don't know. Whatever. Anybody who lives near Utah, in Utah, everyone in Utah knows fucking Wendover. Utah is, like, the strictest state when it comes to gambling and alcohol Alcohol. and anything that the LDS Church disapproves of. Um, They don't sell mini bottles in the state, period. Um, Yeah, you can't even buy a shooter in Utah. Nope, you can't, period. Not even at the liquor store, which is the only place you can buy alcohol besides very weak beer. Um, So... Anybody who lives in Utah that wants to gamble or have any sort of fun knows what Wendover is. It's just across the border into Nevada. It's the closest place we can go to go to casinos. 
It's the wimpiest little casinos ever. It's a trash town, basically. <laughs> and it's wonderful for everyone in Utah. So that's yeah. just a little history lesson, or history, geography lesson uh, about Wendover, Nevada. Tell me your story. I'm so excited. All right. So um, this story made me, like, kind of sad, like, not kind of sad, it made me sad when I was reading about it, because, um, in a lot of the testa like, testimonies, I don't know if that's the right word, but when the, the families were kind of on the stand testifying for this testimony, people, um, it was just crazy to hear how upset they got, and, like, the different, just, like, learning about these because they're kids these kids in the story we'll start we're in Wendover like I said Michaela Nikki Costanzo so um unfortunately in this story she loses her life I'm gonna tell you kind of a little background about the people involved and then um I'll tell you about what happened okay so Michaela she's 16 so she's in high school. She's 16. That's so um, young. It's so young. And she was so, like, she was gorgeous. She was a pretty, pretty girl. I looked up her photos. She was pretty. Um, she was super smart. She had everything going for herself. She was, like, into sports. Mm. She did all kinds of stuff. She was very involved in school. She was very involved with her family. Um, the part that made me the saddest was just how her mom described her. And then basically after this happened, her mom just says like she just fell apart and their family just like fell apart kind of. I could see that. Yeah, because she she really like was a top notch student. She had good grades. Um, she had everything going for herself. She was very involved. She played basketball. She ran track. Um, she participated in a people leadership or people to people leadership program, and she um, edited the school newspaper. She was a writer of short stor- stories and poetry. She was 16. She had her whole life in- ahead of her. She had so much going for herself. Um, I mean, she was she was on track for success, definitely. Yeah. And everybody just thought the world of her. Her family loved her. Her mother, I mean, her mother couldn't say anything bad about her. Well, like, especially obviously. in a small town like that. Like, everybody knew her, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm totally sure. Um... So she, that is Michaela. Um, she also goes by Mickey Costanzo. So um, that is her. And then the other two involved in this case are Tony Colette Fratto and um, Cody, I think his middle name was Lee, Cody Lee Patton. Um, so Tony, she was. Her and Cody are both 18 when this happens, I believe. I thought that they were different ages, but the more I looked into it, uh, the more I think both of them were 18. But some of the articles confused me because some of them said that someone was 19. But I think it was just based off when they were written. So that was probably part of my confusion. (laughs) But um, That's annoying. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm like, God dang it. And then when I Google, like, how old was this person when this happened? It's like five other articles that I haven't even looked at. And I'm like, damn it, I just want one answer. (laughs) So anyways, but so they're 18 and um, Michaela was 16. So um, the same thing for Tony. Her mom testified and she just had nothing but good things to say about Tony. She says, um, this is a quote that I'm going to read from Tony's mom, Cassie Frado, that was in one of the articles. So um, Tony is very courageous, kind, compassionate, and very respectful. She would be your best friend. She would do anything for you. She loves life. So that's word for word the quote that I got from one of my articles um, that Tony's mother had stated about her. And so Tony and Cody, they are dating at this point during this. Um, And so before they were dating, um, Tony's mom said that she was just this great, courageous, nice person. But then once she started dating Cody, she noticed like a difference in kind of her overall, how she kind of acted. Yeah. And she thinks it was because um, there was a school surveillance tape where Pat and Cody was being physically abusive to Tony. Oh. Um, he pushed her against a wall and was choking her. Yikes. And so I saw that in a couple articles, and so I thought that was kind of alarming. Yeah, but high school domestic violence situations are so scary. Yeah. Like, Be- it can start so young, and people have no idea, like, oh, somebody's giving me attention, like... Girls are so excited for their first boyfriend, their first romance, you know, their first love. And it doesn't always have to be girls versus boys, but most of the time it is. And they get in these relationships with violent people and they don't realize they're being groomed into this just awful situation. And then they just love the person so much once it becomes violent that they stay and it just starts so young. It's horrifying. Yeah, and then they just never get away or just try to get away, and it just is like a never-ending cycle. So yeah. I don't know. But so that was um, on the surveillance video. And so then um, I think it was the defense attorney or someone was like, why would you, like, allow your child to continue to be with this guy? But it goes in, like, a little bit deeper because – Cody, at one point, he had gotten kicked out of his house. So then he was living with Tony, and after he began living there is when the parents saw this video surveillance Mm. or whatever. And so then they're like, why would you knowingly let this kid come live with you and continue to be around your daughter if you know that these things are happening? That's hard. Uh, So... Because for most parents, if you try and stop your teenager being in a relationship, they're just going to keep doing it and make it a secret. Yeah, and that's exactly kind of what um, her mom said. Her mom was like, well, for one, she's very much in love with this kid. Like, if we tell her that she can't be with him, he's going to take her away from us. Yeah, she's going to push us away to go to him. Yeah. And so that's why that was her kind of justification. Like, this is why we did this, because if we don't, then we're going to lose our daughter 
and she's going to resent us and whatever. Like, it's, it's not worth the battle, um, I guess, is kind of what, what her thought process was. Okay, I feel like you're going to tell me that these two people did something really bad to the 16-year-old, so I don't want to get too sympathetic towards this 16-year-old girl and her domestic situation. Yeah, don't get too sympathetic because you're not going to like her very much. Um, But so basically the same thing before this all happened and before she started dating, she could be described as this wonderful, like friendly girl, like everybody liked her, whatever. She loved life, this and that. And then supposedly after she begins dating, her mom's like, oh, well, she's kind of losing herself. I could tell Um, like she's just kind of being brainwashed not really brainwashed but you know like taken over and changed under under his control that's the a very susceptible age and that's like i feel like how you yeah learn a lot about yourself and or you mm-hmm. just come to terms with it and start showing it to the world yeah. so you know maybe that's when she decided to stop trying to please everybody and show herself to the world. Or maybe it was influenced by him. Maybe. Yeah. So <clears throat> I could go into a little bit more about her right now, but I'm going to save it for the aftermath because it has to do um, kind of what they notice after this happens and they're separated. Okay. So now I'll tell you a little bit about Cody Patton and same thing for this guy like he's 18 as well like I said um his mom his dad his friends um they all spoke about him as a caring person that they couldn't imagine doing what I'm about to tell you he does Mm. um they all just say he's like this isn't like him um I don't understand how he could do that and especially because Michaela and Cody they were friends like for going back and apparently there was rumors not rumors necessarily but in some of the articles it said that back in middle school um Cody and Michaela had dated for a short time but then they didn't date anymore. And now at this point um, that this is going on, they're just kind of friends. And um, Cody's mom even describes Michaela as like they were best friends. Like, mm-hmm. so it's super, super weird to me. But because um, the mom, Cody's mom says, um, Michaela was our friend. We loved her. Um, she was Cody's best friend. That's what she says. Hmm. And so that's why I'm just like, what in the actual shit is going through these kids' minds? What did they do? (laughs) I am about to tell you, but I always, I'm changing it up this week because I always (laughs) tell you the awful thing first, and then I tell you about all the people after. So this week, I'm telling you about all the participants, and then I'm going to break your heart. Oh, man. Um, No, so... That's kind of the people involved. And so at this point, Cody and Tony are dating and Michaela is, they all go to school together. Um, Well, actually, I don't remember if Tony goes to the same school, but I know Cody and Michaela went to the same school. And they're a year or two apart. She's a little younger. Um, 
Okay, so here we go. Buckle up. Oh. Um, what? When is this? Sorry. This is only in 2011, oh, so wow. not even super long ago. Yeah. So it's a pretty, pretty recent, I guess. Yeah. You could say. I mean, not super, but it's, it's recent. <laughs> um. All right. So we are at March 3rd of 2011. So this is the last day that Michaela is seen. She is last seen at school, West Wendover High School. So she had track practice that evening. Well, not evening, that day after school, but around 5 p.m., the track coach sees Cody pick pick Michaela up okay and so in articles there was stories that he had supposedly been texting her talking about a school project and that's why he was picking her up um but there's multiple different stories that I heard and it's still kind of wishy-washy because um Tony and Cody have of course different accounts of the events that happened so there's still kind of questions okay um okay so march 3rd 2011 that is the last day we see her she gets picked up by cody and cody and maybe or maybe not but probably cody and tony end up taking michaela to the desert in middle of the middle of nowhere in Wendover you know so there's a couple different stories of the first encounter so Michaela gets out of the truck and then apparently one encounter is that Cody pushes her and she hits her head on the bumper of the car Mm -hmm. and then there's another encounter that she doesn't hit her head on the bumper but he pushes her and she hits her head on a rock So one of those two stories, either way, he pushes her, she hits her head, and then she begins going into like a seizure. Hmm. And then at that point, um, he or Tony, I don't know exactly who you ask, um, hits her with a shovel, Hmm. hits Michaela with a shovel. And so after this, after she gets pushed and hits her head and then she gets bashed with a shovel, there's on Cody's account where at that point he just digs a shallow grave and puts her in there. But on another account, like Tony's, after this happens, um, they say that Tony's the one who hit her with a shovel and then Tony kind of once she was on the ground, Tony straddles her and holds her down. And then she has stab wounds and slash wounds from a knife and her. So then while Tony's straddling her, Cody, well, allegedly slits her throat. Oh my God. And so that is 
essentially, I mean, what kills Michaela because she bleeds out because oh they get her jugular vein. So her cause of death was her throat being slit? Mm-hmm. Ugh. So when he picked Michaela up from school, is it believed that Tony was in the car hiding? So I couldn't figure that out because it said he picked her up, but then it says 90 minutes later Tony oh. was there. But then later on, like when they go to trial and stuff, the one of the um, defense attorney says, he's like, well, Tony's like, because um, she ends up confessing, like her confession is, he's like, it's a bunch of rubbish. Like oh. she wasn't there because she was at a public event with her mother until okay. 7 p.m. that night. And apparently the murder happened by 6 p.m. Yeah. So there's no way. And of course her defense attorney is going to say something like that. But fuck that. So I don't know. But um, yeah. So Michaela's cause of death was she bled to death from her wounds. And she um, the autopsy report showed that she had bruises and stabs, stab and slash wounds to her face and neck. And so. Um, I mean, that's pretty freaking brutal. Yeah, that's like, terrible. What the, like, I don't, and I still don't Why? understand. See, and that's the biggest thing, because even in the trial, in all these questionings, no one, neither one of them says why. <sighs> they they just both are like, well, I don't really know. They There's uh, not a reason why. That's so and frustrating. So, it's like... There's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason. What did she do that pissed one of you off? Or was Tony jealous of her? So, yeah, that's one of the things. Like, they were like, well, so Tony was probably, could have been the mastermind because she was dating Cody. And supposedly, according to some of the stuff that I read, Michaela was texting Cody trying to to date him or trying to get back with him so that Tony was getting pissed off and was like, Oh no, like she's not going to take this guy, blah, blah, blah. And so that's one of the stories, but who knows how, how much truth there is to that. What the fuck kind of person thinks that's the answer to any problem? I don't know. I don't know. It is beyond me. So they do this on March 3rd and after they commit this horrific act and they bury her in a a shallow grave um they take some of her belongings and then also what could have been the knife that did this because at the end they don't really know if this knife that they find or a shovel was what like caused the slashes oh my god um that's horrifying they bury her in her shallow grave they take her belongings and some of the things that they use to commit the murder and they go to another like eastern i think it was the east part of windover close to utah and they burn these things so after that they just go on about their day and one of the articles said that they went to windover to have a drink but Obviously, neither one of these kids are old enough, so unless they had fake IDs, who knows? 
Yeah, or um, they knew a spot that didn't check IDs. I mean, a lot of kids drink underage in a small town. Yeah. I don't know. might be more likely. That's true. So that was um, the rumor of what, what they did after the fact. So anyways, um, so they immediately, like, become suspicious, and they have, like, search parties. And so... One day on March 5th, so two days later, um, the search parties are going on, and then one of the searchers, one of the men, um, finds a dis- like an area of disturbed ground. And Ugh. so upon closer inspection of the disturbed area, he noticed that it was covered with a bunch of loose sagebrush. And then once he moved the loose sagebrush, he saw what was a patch of bloody dirt. And then that was where um, Michaela's body was buried in her shallow grave that they they dug for her. So super terrible. This this man finds her and then um, hours, or it was just days later after they find the body um, when Cody Patton was arrested and charged with homicide. Good. So after he gets arrested and is charged, then I guess here comes Tony out of the woodwork and she confesses and she has this story. And He made me do it. Yeah, so she confesses to, like, Cody's dad and then the authorities about her involvement in the crime and so but it's crazy because Patton was the sole suspect until she came around and implicated herself oh she wasn't even on the radar until she put herself there so she technically probably could have got away with murder but she was afraid he was gonna tattle probably so she wanted to spin the story her way I'm sure because, like you're saying, in the long run, like both of the stories are slightly different, and each person is pointing the finger at the other one a little bit more. Yeah. In, in when it's all said and done. Because they were both so, fucking guilty pieces of shit. Yeah. Guilty as shit. So, um, Cody Cree, we'll go into his. Well, actually, we won't talk about him first because. Tony Fratto, she had her sentencing first. And so at her sentencing, she was sentenced to, um, what was it? It was not enough. That's all I know. Like when I, I still don't think it's enough. And she's already going to be eligible for her, her first parole in 2021. What? 10 years? Yeah, so that tells you um, she was sentenced to a mandatory 18 years, um, but she must serve 10 before she's eligible for parole because oh. she um, was guilty. She pled guilty to second degree murder. Yeah, murder, 10 years, whatever. Yeah, but um, seriously, she'll get out when she's fucking 28 or 29 years old. She can yeah. fucking live an entire life after she murdered a little girl for no reason. 
Yeah. That's and infuriating. I watched one of her freaking interviews. Um, who is this guy? Um, Dr. Phil. The white-haired guy, Anderson Cooper. Oh, yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. The so, handsome gay man. <laughs> so I watched an interview that was with her on like the prison cam or whatever because she was in her prison outfit but I'm pretty sure he had like um Michaela's mother and maybe sister on the show and it was like disgusting to watch because she has no emotion and she's just like she kind of like tries to sound like she's crying but there's no tears and she's just like "Uh, I would I would never do something like that and like there's no emotion on her face you just like hear her like choking up but it's I was yeah. in such a bad situation. I just I just am so sorry for her family, but I I didn't plan anything and Cody was so scary and I just don't understand how I got involved in this and I wish I'd been brave enough to do more. So that's so <laughs> funny that you not funny that you say that, but um at her case or her sentencing one of the things she does address the family and she's like I'm sorry like I can't really say sorry but I'm sorry for what I did do and I'm also sorry for what I didn't do as as protect her or something and so she says this at her sentencing and obviously I mean no one's buying it like girl you're guilty like you shouldn't have been there you're like it's, I don't know. Yeah, no. if you guys didn't plan it together, he would have just done it without you, and you would have known none of the details. You either were the instigator, or were very, very involved in the planning. I, I have no idea about the personal relationships between any of these people, but it feels like a jealousy situation. Oh, yeah, I think in the, like, in the long run, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's Uh, like she, there's this cute girl talking to my boyfriend. They've been friends for years. That makes me really insecure. I hate her. And he's like, oh, I hate her, too. Don't worry about it. And she's like, I want to kill her. And he's like, yeah, I totally would, too. And she's like, no, but really, I would kill her. And he's like, yeah, me, too. And she's like, yeah, bruh. But, like, I would literally kill her with a shovel and or a knife and he's like no me too i'll get her there i don't i'm making a lot of assumptions but um but um yes so i found my actual notes on their sentencing so initially um the two of them decided that they were going to plead not guilty and so when they decided that the da was like okay, well, um, we're going to go for the death penalty then. Ooh. Like, if you're, you're going to plead not guilty, like, we're going to... He sought the death penalty for these guys. Capital um, murder. So, but um, neither one of them got the death penalty because they decided to plead guilty. So, Tony, like I said, she pled guilty to second-degree murder. She was sentenced... Oh, she was sentenced to life with possibility of parole. And so she will, she's required to serve 18 years before she's eligible, um, 
but she can be paroled after 10 years. What the fuck? So, that doesn't even make sense. I don't really know how that works. Ugh. But that's what, what she got. Okay, So well, we will try and set a reminder for ourselves to do an update. Oh, good idea. Yeah, just as a podcast, I, I don't know how to make a Google notification for her name, but I'm going to figure it out. Okay, so what happened to fucking Cody? So, Cody goes to his sentencing, and um, I was reading his, and he babbled a lot, apparently, at his. Like, he had the opportunity to speak, and he babbled a lot. And, um, I mean, he, he just makes me angry. I, and see, like, listening to this story, I don't know why I feel like he's just, like, really dumb. And so he just is like, oh, I don't, I, I did what she wanted. I don't know. I don't know. And so, like, I feel like he was a really bad influence in both their lives, but I feel like fucking Tony was like, I hate that bitch. And he was like, I hate her too, let's kill her. And she was like, and, but like, and just saying it like a dumb redneck. Yeah. And he, she was like, yeah, let's kill her. <laughs> I don't know why I'm feeling that way. I don't know how it all went down when it's said and done. But... I just don't see any other motive besides jealousy. Yeah, I mean, I I really don't understand why he would have any motive because, like, his mom is, like, they were they were good friends. They were, like, best yeah. friends. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't understand. So, um, and even at his sentencing, so he, like I said, he got the chance to speak and he spoke a lot. So I'm just going to, like, get some of it. So he basically said that he couldn't describe what happened um what like that day or that night. He couldn't describe what happened, but he wished that he could um ask for forgiveness, but he was like I don't even feel like I deserve that, so I can't ask for forgiveness because oh, he good. doesn't deserve it. So um like this gets so hard for me to read because it's just like babbling nonsense well no it's not even babbling nonsense it's just like the things that he's saying and what he did like I don't it makes no freaking sense at all because he goes um Michaela was always good to him and basically just anything you could ask for in a friend like she was that she was the best so he goes on to say all these nice things about Michaela and the most disturbing thing that, like, gives me chills thinking about it and talking about it right now is, um, you know, Michaela was an avid writer. She liked to write short stories and poetry. This mofo decides he's going to recite a portion of one of the poems that she wrote. <laughs> and her mom just, like like cried she couldn't take it because the poem was about it it talked about the glimmer of beauty beneath all the ugly in the world did the judge let him do it yeah i mean they didn't stop it judges can stop a 
prosecuted person's final statement if they feel like they're being too douchebaggy and be like, no, you, the family doesn't deserve this. You need to stop. And that's... Well, he was not stopped. <laughs> ugh, that's infuriating. Like, I... The family just wants to be there to see justice and maybe get some sort of apology, even though that's never going to give them closure. But right. listening to him recite your daughter's words of hope is not what you want to hear in this situation. Yeah, no, it was, I was reading it and I was like, what in, what, why would you even do that? And I don't know. He's dumb. He seems so dumb. I don't know. Um, yeah, so that was just, like, infuriating and just, like, weirded me out when I read it. And I was like, what? Why? No, stop. Yeah, this is a very so, nonsensical murder. It's just infuriating because it... Not that any murder makes sense, but this one really just doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, it's it doesn't. Like, it's... Not it doesn't make any sense at all. And she was so uh, young. She was so young. And so Patton babbles and does all this nonsense and finally, um, when it's all said and done, he accepted a plea deal and decided to plead guilty to first degree murder in exchange to be spared the death penalty. Oh wow. Because prior to that he was like, um, I'm not guilty. And then they're like, okay, well, here's the death penalty coming at you. And then he was like, oh. But he only accepted that plea deal after Tony had accepted a plea deal two months later or two months earlier because she was sentenced in May. Um, or wait, I'm back. March. No. He was sentenced in, she was sentenced in April. And he was sentenced in May of 2012. That really bothers me that he got first degree and she got second. Yeah, but I think it all comes down to because they, well, everybody believes that he is the one who slit her throat, maybe. And he lured lured her into his car with the intent of killing her, obviously, but the fact that she's already up for parole and she's younger than us. Oh, that's, yikes. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I graduated in 2007. She was graduating in 2011. Is that when you said this took place? She was 18, yeah, so. Yeah. She's like four years younger than us, three years younger than us. That's crazy. Yeah. She'll be almost 30. (laughs) Barely 30 when she, if she gets parole, which hope to God they look at the fucking what she did and don't give her parole after 10 years. But if she got parole right now, she literally would have all the time in the world to just become a new person, live a full life. Something that Mackenzie, Mackenzie... Michaela. Michaela. Oh, sorry, Michaela's family. That Michaela will never be able to do. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying and awful. And um, speaking of t- 
Tony. So her mom also said that since she's been incarcerated and separated from Patton, um, her mom has noticed a change in her daughter's demeanor. So Yeah, because she's in fucking prison. Yeah, so she's like, she said that she hopes that the time served can help her daughter rehabilit- be rehabilitated and this and that. Apparently, she was losing herself, but um, so now the mom's like, well, I see that we have our actual Tony back. Like, she's oh, not yeah. in this, I don't know, toxic relationship, apparently. So That's um, frustrating. Yeah, so it makes sense. Parent- as a mom, you want to protect your child, but like, plenty of your girls are in violent or abusive, controlling situations, and they don't murder someone. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know, but apparently, her mom just thinks that she was in this toxic relationship that made it all happen so now that she's been incarcerated she sees this brand new not brand new tony the old tony before cody um coming through and apparently she realizes the um, the importance of being true to herself and this and that and now she wants to help others that have suffered through abuse my Um, eyes hurt from rolling so hard (laughs) yeah so I was just like, what? And then, like, the more I go and I look at, like, photos of her and then these videos of her, I'm just like, oh, my God. I don't I don't even know. So I get, like, okay, you're her mom. Whatever. You're going to say whatever you have to say. You want to believe what you're saying. But uh, you trying to, like, promote your daughter as being an advocate for victims of high school domestic abuse is fucking bullshit. It's like when Brock Turner was convicted of sexual assault and he, before his sentencing, was saying that he wanted to go to high schools to talk to kids about um, the abuse of alcohol and its effect on promiscuity. Are you fucking kidding me? There's a difference between... being promiscuous and abusing alcohol and fucking raping someone. There's a difference between being in a domestically violent situation as a high school girl and murdering someone. Yeah. I 100% would be okay with a girl who got out of a domestic violent situation in high school, which is very common and is not okay and should be dealt with. I'd be okay with a survivor of that going to high schools and giving speeches but not yeah. a fucking perpetrator of murder. You don't need to be going talking to kids. You didn't handle the situation correctly. And you don't need to be going telling kids about what you did. Fuck you. You were involved. You were part of the planning. You're getting off way too easily. Fuck that fucking bullshit. Yeah, obviously. And now I'm stepping off my soapbox. <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. It's crazy. And... Um, apparently from Cody's dad, he also mentioned in one of the articles, like they were pretty serious, him and Tony, and they had talked about marriage apparently. And, um, she was Tony Fratto is, was a Mormon girl. And so apparently Cody was even going to kind of 
convert to the LDS church and so they could get married. Um, but yeah, apparently it's where they both missed a real big commandment there. <laughs> yeah. So, murder or um, something. I don't know. Definitely. Yeah. That, uh, obviously did not, uh, come to fruition apparently. And, um, they can kiss that wedding goodbye. Darn it. Um, but I don't know, man. It was just, I don't know. This story, the more I looked into it, I was just like, what the, that, it made me so mad. Yeah, because there's no reason. Not that that makes it better, but at least it makes it understandable. Like, okay, he did it because he wanted to rape her. That's a reason why this thing happened. Okay, he murdered someone because he wanted to rob them. Okay, there's a reason. This situation is just like, oh, this couple murdered a young girl. Yeah. There's no... I mean, the only motive is jealousy, but, like, that's not a reason. That's not... And then even and both of them... it's not admitted to. Yeah, and even both of them are just like, I don't, I don't know, like, the night's a blur. That's what Tony's thing was when she would explain it. She was like, I don't really know, like, this I don't is know what I do learn. know, and then the rest is a blur. Yeah. And then neither one of them have, like, a certain answer, like, why the hell did you do what you did? Like, what what is the reason? And neither one of them can come up with an answer to that. Do you know if Cody is ever going to be eligible for parole? No, he will be sentenced to... Did I tell you what he was sentenced to? He didn't get death. So he didn't get death, but he um, got life without the possibility of parole. Hmm. So he will he will be in jail the rest of his life. I'm torn about how I feel about that because I feel like Tony was just as responsible. Oh yeah, me too. And so she's gonna be eligible just, for parole like in the next six months. Yeah, that I don't. Nine months, But, because, yeah, he will be spending his life in prison without the eligibility of parole um, for his um, activities in this crime. (laughs) Interesting. And um, another thing that is just kind of random that is kind of sad for uh, Cody's family is the shovel that was used in this um, whole ordeal was a gift to Cody, a Christmas gift to Cody from his father. And so he just has that thought to live with in his mind the rest of his life, which is not nice. I feel bad for everyone's family, but at least Cody and Tony's family can write them letters and go visit them occasionally. And they still have contact and just Michaela's family. Okay. I got her name right. Uh, never gets any anything. They never get yeah. any sort of farewell. They never get uh, any brief interactions. Even it's fucking terrible. That's so horrible. Yeah, it's a and really it sad story you told us this week, Amber. I know, and it just makes me so sad to read about like what her mom says because she re- they really like they're. 
their whole family, like, because Michaela was such a big part of everything in their family with nieces and nephews and just, so she's just like, it's been really hard. And now like I was a paranoid, scared person before, and now I'm super overprotective. And she's just like, my whole world got flipped upside down. And I don't, I don't know. It's just super sad to read. Like I said, I was like excited about your story and then we end on mine and I'm like, well, that was fun. Yeah. Okay. So next week we're coming to Utah and I'm feeling so much pressure about Utah because we have some really big cases, but everybody's covered them. So I want to go lesser known, but I want it to be really good because I'm born and raised Utah yeah. So I'm I'm unsure with Utah, but we'll see next week what happens. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you pick, but I still have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so um, I gotta do some research and figure that out. Okay. So to turn the vibe around, I'm gonna tell you a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> to end on a higher note. What's the difference between a G-spot and a golf ball? Uh, I don't know. A man will actually search for a golf ball. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I'm sorry, everyone. Um, so please, please join us next week. When we are visiting my home state of Utah, Amber's former temporary home state of Utah, and maybe future home state of Utah if my dreams ever come through, um, <laughs> and we'll be telling you some stories from here. I hope they are good. If you want to have any more details about the stories we told today, please look at our show notes. We have links to all of our sources. Check out their sources. Let us know if you have any comments, complaints, questions, and we will try and answer them or address them. And we will see you next week. Bye! Hey, Spencer. Hey. (laughs) Hi, Amber. Hello. Spencer, what's your favorite Las Vegas memory? Um, You don't have to rush it. I can cut all the empty space. I may or may not use this. Do you want to put it at the end? I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I'm kind of drunk now and I was really drunk then. (laughs) Have you only ever been to Vegas the one time? Yeah. Amber, what's your favorite Vegas memory from the time we went with Aaron and Spencer? Oh, man. Mine is when we went to some dance bar or something really, really late at night, and it was kind of a flop, and we did so much walking, so we decided to go to that tram or whatever. Oh, my God, the tram. We were so drunk. And it was it like it was 3 a.m. 4 a.m. I don't even know. Yeah. So uh-huh. we hiked through this hotel and we had to go <laughs> find our way through a hotel we never been in and then go outside the hotel that you could only get to that exit through the hotel and 
then climb the staircase winding sidewalk and walk forever in heels in my experience you had to be in heels I'm pretty sure and then get to the top in the tram and try and buy your tickets and not understand why the machine wasn't working and then realize that the hours ended at like 1 a.m and didn't start again until like 9 a.m and you had to undo all of those steps that you'd just done yeah, and go back to the street and maybe get a cab and Amber peed behind a tiny, tiny little palm tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember doing lots and lots and lots and lots of walking that night. So much walking. But it was yeah. cool because it was like 98 degrees <laughs> at 2 a.m. So it wasn't bad. Okay. Still hot as fuck out there. At least there was that. It was still fun. Like, it was still a good... It's still a good memory. It was a good time. Yeah. Everything we did together was fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, man. That was... That was a great, great time. Yeah, it's like, finally, we're gonna get relief from this walk. (laughs) Ah, sit in the nice air-conditioned tram. Oh, I'll go straight to our hotel. Three hours, maybe, of walking. (laughs) Nah, oh, probably I got not that so many, many but two, hours. For sure, there. So much. We did so much walking to find and things to do. Back. Yeah. Well, we went out drinking, you know, whatever, cocktail hour, four, five, whatever. Twelve. Well, One, two. Whatever. Yeah, it's Vegas. <laughs> whenever. So, and then it was walk to wherever we went. Everywhere. Get really drunk. Walk elsewhere. Walk, walk, walk. And then it was like five, six a.m. by the time we got back. And we walked the whole time until we got to our, back to our hotel and went up the elevator. But Amber only drank the skinny part. Only the skinny part. That, oh. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That was my favorite part. I only drank the skinny part, guys. That's, that's my favorite memory of it. <laughs> but I only drank the skinny part. Spencer and I quote that regularly in our yeah. home. All the time. Uh, for um, reference for everyone else Um, so (laughs) we were in Vegas it was like our first day there and you start drinking you know early in the day because you can and we went to one of the like frozen drink stands it was like Slurpees yeah yeah. and they put a lot of booze in it because you're not in Utah anymore and they (laughs) Amber. And Aaron paid for the extra. Oh, the extra yeah. shots where they just seven extra shots. Free pour. Yeah. For Allegedly forty-five seven seconds. air quotes extra free shots, but it was yeah. just free pour for as long as you. It was. It was a it half a fifth. So much booze, and so Amber and Aaron got the the yard long drink that was uh, four and a half feet tall. Amber is. Almost five feet tall. <laughs> so Amber's carrying this yard-long drink. If you've never seen him, Google it. And she's getting so drunk as we walk to go find where we're going to eat lunch. It has a necklace on it. To like help. rope around so you hold it around your neck because it's so damn long. But so Amber tall. had to hold it because it would drag on the ground if <laughs> she just let it hang from the necklace. And so we get to where we're finally going to eat like, a late lunch. And... Someone's like, Amber, you're so drunk. And she's like, I only drink the skinny part. So, <laughs> it's 
three feet of alcoholic skinny part. Three feet of the skinny part. It's like four or five inches in diameter at the top. And it tapers down for probably six inches. And then it's only about inch and a half, two inches in diameter for the... Three feet. Three feet, and then the bottom <laughs> six inches, if that math works out. But whatever, you get my point. It tapers out again at to the like bottom. To like eight inches. It's a, well, same That's a size. good base. Do you still have the cup? Amber, do you have the cup? Uh, I think we got rid of them when we moved. I think oh. they lost it that night. I'm pretty sure. Oh, maybe. I, I feel no, like it made it back. No, we still had one because we had change in it <laughs> at our old house because we saved it and we were like, oh, when we fill this cup up with change, we can go back to Vegas. <laughs> and only use the skinny part of the change. <laughs> well, if you had it, I was going to say you should upload a picture because it's really quite hilarious. We could easily find a picture, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah, we could find one, yeah. Um... Amber only drank the skinny part. Only the skinny part. And whenever I'm too drunk at home, I just tell Spencer I only drink the skinny part. Yeah, it's been an ongoing joke. <laughs> For years. Five years later? At least, yeah. So. Yeah, it was a pretty good one. Good memories. <laughs> that was a good night. Uh, we went to the, that was the same night we went to the bowl. PBR, the pole, pro, whatever, bowl riding, professional bowl riding bar, whatever the fuck. I don't remember oh, what it was. and then I rode the bull with my tied-up skirt. Yeah, I tied your skirt yeah. up, and I boosted you diaper. onto the bull. And Spencer rolled the bull like a chant, like a professional. Yeah. And I pro. did not ride the bull. I should not have <laughs> rid the bull. <laughs> I know my embarrassment threshold, and I was not prepared for that, so I didn't do it. Um... God, Vegas is fun. I really, really wanted to go to Vegas this year for Spencer's 30th in October. But with coronavirus, it's not looking like it's going to happen. Yeah, probably not. So, yeah. maybe 2021 is a Vegas year. Yeah. Corona. And go to Flamingo. I'm way more interested in the Flamingo now. So, is it still, like, the the same... It's, like, redone, right? Yeah, so over the years, it bit by bit, it's been torn down and rebuilt, and there's no bit left that was the original Flamingo. It's in the same spot, and they have, like, a memorial for, um, Bugsy... Seagull? Seagull. Oh my god, I can't remember. So they have a memorial, like a plaque in the fucking garden for Bugsy Seagull, but none of the actual rooms. They tore down his suite that had the bulletproof glass and the tunnel and stuff, too. Oh, they should have kept something for history. Yeah, like that should have like, been a cool, like... A memorial. That should have been like a museum part of it. Just his suite would have been sweet. But it was torn down in, like, 93 or something. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's stupid. Yeah. But, oh well. Yeah. But, anyways. That was, uh... Our fond memories of Las Vegas. Bye! Bye!